Listeners be advised. The Holiloquy podcast discuss matters related to the human experience and many that are sexual in nature. Due to this, some conversations may surround triggering topics such as sexual violence, self-harm, abuse, and much more. Please be advised, a list of crisis and psychological resources will be available in the show notes of this episode. With that said, let's get started with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention please as we go through the following safety instructions. In the event that there is a loss of cabin pressure, oxygen mask will drop from the overhead. Place the mask over your nose and mouth. Breathe normally as oxygen is flowing even if the mask does not Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Holy Loki Podcast, where we step out and speak on sexuality. This is your favorite host, Vernon T. Scott, also known as Slater Jackson, and for you freaky motherfuckers out there, Sebastian's Adams. On today's episode, we are talking about mental health and relationships, and I am blessed once again by the beautiful Anissa. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? I'm fantastic. You know, so today is actually a very special day, uh, and to the... I, I hope by this point my audience understands that I pre-record all of my episodes because this episode's going to be releasing like in um I think October. <laughs> but right <Okay. laughs> some time. But um today is actually um the first day my podcast released the episode. It was March 5th of 2022 when the Holiloquy podcast um first started up. And it was also the same day that my nephew was born. So happy birthday, Royal. (laughs) Well, happy birthday to both Royal and the podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And I look today and just to see the difference between where I was then and to where I am now, like it's only... So the first episode of this season came out March 1st and... There was a, uh, another episode that came out like it was a, a zero episode, so it doesn't really count. So um, just saying, hey, people, we're coming back next week. But um, so far this month, I looked at my metrics and I'm already at like 90 downloads and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And this time last year, I was just seeing one, two, three downloads, um, getting a little bit closer to like 50 um as the month went by and just to see i'm already surpassing that and it's just like i did something i grew a little bit and i I like that i love that for myself (laughs) you should be proud that's wonderful thank you thank you and you're out there touching lives that's what's important you're touching lives yes thank you thank you for that perspective (laughs) <laughs> the the goal is to make sure that we all grow in some way um but speaking of growth uh actually 
before I go into this, um, I do give people that time and space to uh, introduce themselves again on their second episode. For those people who may have missed the first episode that you were on, do you mind giving us a brief introduction? Sure. So I am Anissa Hudak. I'm a yoga therapist. I work with folks who have PTSD and TBIs or TBIs, which is traumatic brain injuries. And I specifically actually work with women who've been sexually traumatized. Um, I like to work with women who are like me. I'm a two-time rape survivor. And um, let's see what else. I'm the mom of two guys. I don't want to say boys because they're not boys anymore. They're, <laughs> they're young men, men. Um, and I live in Manhattan, Kansas, where the livestock outnumber the people. If you know or if you heard of the uh, Kansas State Wildcats, I live like five minutes from the campus. And um, I'm originally from New York, so I left the Big Apple for the Little Apple. We love that you're here. Bless us with your presence. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on again. So today, mental health. I know I said I was going to go into growth, but we'll end up getting back to that some, some, somehow. It's mental health. But part of the conversation is uh, related to PTSD. And uh, since that is something that you focus on, um, for those who don't uh, know the acronym that stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, um, what has your experience been like working with individuals with PTSD? And uh, do you mind giving people a broad understanding of what PTSD may look like, uh, feel like, or how it may express itself uh, in your work or as, as well as in someone's body too. Um, yeah, tackle that. <laughs> well, just a little topic. Um, so PTSD is actually really hard to diagnose because it is this huge umbrella of symptoms. There's well over 75 different symptoms that make up PTSD. Now that doesn't mean you're going to have them all. However, you need someone who can really look at you as a whole person, not just from a mental health perspective. And the reason for that is because there are physical things that happen. There are emotional, there are mental, there are cognitive. There are so many different things that come into play when it comes to actually diagnosing PTSD. Um, some of the physical things that you might encounter are um, constipation, um, IBS, you know, diarrhea, um, upset stomach, acid reflux, um, your heart racing, your, your blood pressure going up, um, all the way to not having any control over your emotions, anger management issues, um, insomnia, night terrors, nightmares, uh, you name it. I mean, it's this huge, broad spectrum of symptoms. And so someone has to really look at everything and connect the dots and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is like textbook. <laughs> um, and so that's why you need somebody who's not just looking at the mental health aspect, but things that you you don't even think about actually come into play. Um, and so you might be thinking, oh, well, I don't have it because I don't have this, this, or this. Well, yeah, but you have 27 other different things wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you have to really look at the whole person because it really encompasses the whole person. PTSD actually starts in the body before it manifests as a mental health issue or any other issue. And that's what people don't understand. They think it's a mental health issue. It's not. It actually starts in the body. And um, I'll just go through real briefly how that occurs. Have you ever seen two dogs fight? Mm -hmm. 
And have you noticed when they walk away, they do something? Have you ever noticed what they do? No. They're done fighting and they're walking away from one another. Mm -mm. Have you ever noticed that they shake? Uh, okay. Now that you mention it, yes. <clears throat> okay. So sorry. just mm -hmm. remember that, okay? So in this scenario, we have two different brains. We have the upper echelon brain where we live our lives. Critical thinking, math problems, logistics, grocery lists. You know, all that kind of stuff. And that's where the emotional regulation occurs up in the upper echelon brain, right? We also have the reptilian brain. Now, the reptilian brain is responsible for everything that keeps your body going that you'd never think about. So blinking, breathing, telling you to go to the bathroom, telling you that you're hungry. Um, it's also where your fight, flight, freeze, and fawn mechanism is. So now let's say you're walking down the street. And all of a sudden, some guy pulls a gun on you and he's trying to mug you. You leave the upper echelon brain and you go into the reptilian brain to go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode, right? Now, the body is totally concerned with just keeping you safe. The only thing your body wants to do is keep you alive. So that occurs. The situation ends. Now, we have to get back to the upper echelon brain. How do you think that's going to happen? Hmm. Uh, I feel like it's a slow transition back to um, to the uh, high, upper epsilon. Is that the word? Epsilon? Uh, no, it's not epsilon. Echelon. Echelon. There we go. We're just burning. Just give up. <laughs> but, but yes. Is that how it works? Or Well, remember that shaking? Mm-hmm. Oh. So we are just like animals. I mean, we are. We are animals. We're just like the dogs. We have to shake in order to reset the central nervous system to get us back into the upper echelon brain. Now, what happens if we don't shake? Mm -hmm. You stay in that moment? We stay in the reptilian brain. And that's where the PTSD stems from. Mm. So all of our critical thinking, all of the emotional regulation, that's all handled in that other part of the brain that we can't tap into because we have not reset the central nervous system. This is why PTSD can happen to anyone. It is not just folks who've been to war, mm. car accidents, anybody, it, you know, like I said, car accidents, muggings, watching someone die, um, you, clowns, you name it, anything. Also, uh, um, how do I want to say, long exposure to stressful situations. So domestic violence, um, child abuse, child neglect, Things like that can also lead to PTSD. So it may not be just one episode. It can be a long um, exposure to a particular you know, situation. So that's why anybody can get PTSD. That's how it occurs. It's very simple and yet very complex. And that is why we're able to actually use yoga therapy to help reset the central nervous system. So you spend more and more time up in the upper echelon brain doing your critical thinking as opposed to just running rickshaw in the reptilian brain where we were never supposed to live mm. so that is the short and long answer of it so essentially um like once because um the thing that triggered in my uh, mind when um when you uh, mentioned that you know being stuck in that moment is when people are stuck in survival survivor mode that's um, what happens mm -hmm. 
So whenever you do experience something traumatic and you build that uh, new coping mechanism or trauma response or whatever the case is, it's because you're still stuck within that survival mode. And our survival mode uh, is triggered by a variety of things. Most definitely when it comes to our own sense of livelihood, it can be financial circumstances. It can just be, like you mentioned, seeing a, an accident happening, being exposed to an accident, um, being becoming victimized in whatever way. Uh, so I definitely appreciate you for tying those two things together because I would not have gotten there without you. <laughs> so um, shake, shake people, shake, 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 shake. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, as humans, we hate to see other people shake, you know, and so what do we do? Oh, come here, let me hold you. Or, you know, EMTs, they're, they strap you down. Um, I was talking with a doctor the other day and she said, sure, if you come into the ER and you're thrashing about, we give you a sedative. Mm-hmm. Well, that does not help. You have to shake. Now, sometimes you don't even realize you're shaking. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it happens very quietly within the body and you don't even realize that it's happening, but you are resetting the central nervous system. Generally, though speaking, you know when you're shaking. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, that's kind of where we run into problems. There's also other things that kind of lead into this. And that is, what was your stress level prior, moments prior to the incident. Were you in the car with someone and having an argument? Your stress level was probably more, you know, higher than it would be if you were with your best friend having a great time. What was your stress level um, prior to the incident, days, months, years? Um, do you live a very stressful type of life? Do you not? That can also have an effect on it. What was your stress like your entire life? You know, did you grow up in a very stressful environment or did you not? There are all kinds of things. Were you, were you ill prior to the incident? Like all kinds of things that kind of play a part in this. You know, if you're not feeling 100%, you know, it could inhibit the body from doing its shaking or what have you. So there's a lot that goes into this. It's not just you had an incident. Did you shake or not? Mm. See, I, um, I like that you mentioned like pretty much a person's life um, prior to incidents, like uh, how much stress they've been exposed to uh, throughout their lives. Uh, it brought back a memory of me having conversations with one of my former therapists uh, about uh, some of the traumas that I've experienced, because he's the one who actually told me uh, uh, that my level of PTSD was uh, at the level that he's experienced with some of his um, uh, veteran uh, clients who've been to war. And I was like, what the fuck you, what, what do you mean? I'm not, I have not lived that stressful of a life. Apparently I did. <laughs> in, in that, for you it was. Mm -hmm. PTSD is so individual. It is like your thumbprint. Mm -hmm. And so, but don't belittle what you and your experiences were that no, your mm -hmm. trauma is your trauma. And it was as traumatizing to you as it was. Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't mean that you're less of a person, mm -hmm. you know, and, and people say all the time, well, I didn't go to war. So that's true. A, a car accident, a car, you and I could be in the same car accident and you could walk away with no PTSD and I walk away with it mm -hmm. in that particular moment. 
your brain was too overwhelmed to deal with the situation. It's not bad or good. It's just mm -hmm. where you were in that moment. The Holiloquy podcast focuses on the variability of sexual expression. When it comes to sexual expression, we often depend on pornography to illustrate how one must perform sexually. For those who have not learned this by now, the stuff you see in porn is not real. Pornography provides a singular perspective of sexual expression that is not often the reality we see during our own sexual encounters. The Holiloquy podcast is a conversation that takes you outside of the compressed box of what many know about sex. Some of the topics we discuss include kinks, condom usage, status disclosure, and past sexual experiences. The Holiloquy podcast steps out on sexual norms and recognizes that the norm is not the only normal. Subscribe today and join the conversation. Car accident, and you could walk away with no PTSD, and I walk away with it. Mm -hmm. In that particular moment, your brain was too overwhelmed to deal with the situation. It's not bad or good. It's just mm -hmm. where you were in that moment. That's true. Like I, I found that, um, like when he mentioned that, uh, I did have to sit with that for some time uh, because it was like, oh, I, I would not have even guessed that. And I, I even shared that with some of my friends and whatnot. And that actually helped me realize, let me just take some time to myself and, you know, get away from um a lot of people, a lot of stressors, and just uh, focus on me for a little while and do that intentionally and not just have to carve out time for myself, but actually make that my main focus, uh, which was a huge shift in how I was operating prior to him saying that. And I think the greatest reward that I got from that um, because he did help me realize that I have a very very high tolerance for stress but acknowledging that I'm not getting to a certain point anymore um, to allow myself to go back down that route of um, seeing how much stress I can handle to just be like you know what mm -mm, you're taking me to a direction I want to go in so I'm not going to do that and it I, helped me speak up for myself a lot more and uh, keep myself from taking on more stress. Even though I know I can handle it, I know that I don't have to and I don't need to do it because what's the purpose and who does that serve? If it's not serving me, then I don't need it. So I think that was a very crucial uh, moment in my life that helped me heal as well as process through my own PTSD. And do I still have my moments? Yes, but it's a lot better because I've done that work. And I think a lot of people, well, I know a lot of people need to take that time to uh, heal from their own traumas because we are exposed to it. Like most people don't, um, think about the vicarious traumas that we're exposed to on a regular basis. And because secondary uh, traumatic experience is definitely a thing, and, though, and it does lead to PTSD in itself, we have to take those moments to understand that I might be going through my own survival mentality. I might be in survival mode. I might have been exposed uh, 
um, impacted negatively or traumatized by the video I saw on YouTube, the video I saw on uh, Instagram, the video I saw on TikTok, Twitter, whatever the case is, or the uh, thing I saw when I was walking the other day, the accident that I was in when I was five years old and I'm now 25 years old. All these things have impact. I don't know how many times I've seen people post on uh, on Facebook uh, a picture of a horrible accident that they were in, speaking on how they're so happy that they survived that and that they are doing well. They're in the hospital, wherever the case is. Even seeing that picture and hearing that um, that they almost died is a traumatic experience for some people. And because of that, we have to work on healing from those. We have to acknowledge that that experience there traumatized me. I wasn't there uh, individually. I was not the person who was impacted by that uh, directly, but it still led to some type of form of trauma for me. And after acknowledging, figuring out how can you move forward, uh, how can you get the treatment that you need, how to uh, heal, how to grow, how to become a more whole version of yourself that you once were, or a better version of that. Well, I think you, you touch on a really great point that there is different types of PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, excuse me. Mm. So there is secondary PTSD, which is where, um, as you said, you know, PTSD from somebody else's PTSD, um, just having to interact or be um, exposed to their PTSD. There is CPTSD, CPTSD, which is complex PTSD, um, which is where you've had a situation already occur and now... Um, You've had another traumatic experience, but the last one kind of plays an effect on the present one. There is generational PTSD. Um, yeah. And a great example of that is, you know, my dad is um, a, a Vietnam vet. Um, his PTSD, you know, bled into um, my, you know, experience as a child. And that even now bleeds into um, my, my, my children's experience. Um, I'm trying to think there's other ones and I, I can't think off the top of my head, the other ones, but th those are just three different examples of PTSD. Um, so it's not just, you know, it happens to one person. Um, however, listening to what you said, one of the things that we find with PTSD is that our boundaries have been just totally blown by, you know, we're in a situation where we have no control. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that's really scary is that, we always like to feel like we're in control of our bodies, of our experiences, our environment. And when we are placed in a position where we're not in control, that control is taken away from us. Um, that is a lot of trauma causing uh, experience. Now, that being said, one of the things that we have a lot of trouble with is creating boundaries because mm. those boundaries were, were taken away. And so for you to say, you know, I know what my stress level, I can take a lot, but I also know that there's a point where I don't want to go to. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That's wonderful. You've done a lot of work because you have created boundaries for yourself. There's a line in the sand again that says, yeah, I'm not going past that point. I can't, I probably could. I mean, I've done it and I've made my way back, but I don't want to go back there. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And that's something that we really strive to achieve 
where is the line in the sand? Where are the boundaries for a person with PTSD? And if we can help folks reestablish those boundaries, you know, that's part of taking that control back mm -hmm. and helping people feel safe within their own skin and within their own environments. The thing I'm um, thinking about now is it is related to safety uh, and being comfortable and secure in your own skin. And the the main question I have is how how does any individual who may be going through their own traumas or uh, what have you, uh, of course, this uh, answer can be a variety of different ways because look, you don't have, there's not one way to do something correctly, but how can some person who's trying to heal from their pain as well as in, <clears throat> engage with other individuals um, create a space where they are comfortable in their own skin and acknowledge and be able to provide that comfort to other people too while they're in their process of healing. I think that when you get to a point where you start working with others, um, that's the final stage of healing. Mm. Um, and I'm happy to say that that's kind of where I'm at. I, you know, I now work with others. Um, I have done a lot of the work. <laughs> I probably still, and I, I, I absolutely have more work to do. I'm a work in progress. However, I'm at a place and point where I have a really good control over my PTSD. I'm a high functioning person with PTSD. I probably spend about 90 to 95%, if not more of my time in my upper echelon brain. Now, are there times when I still revert back? Absolutely. Do I feel that you're ever cured from PTSD? No. And that's because of how the brain um, records memories. We can't always have a handle on every memory. And so could something out of the blue trigger you? Absolutely. Because you never know where that memory is being stored. However, the last time I was really triggered two and a half years ago, three years, no, three years ago, I don't mind going through life with being triggered every, you know, three to five years. That's mm. not a bad thing. It is not. Or even longer. I might not be triggered now for the rest of my life. I have no idea. However, getting a person to that point and being able to then um, start to help others, I think it's, they say it's the final act of healing. Mm -hmm. And I think, because uh, I love that you mentioned that, you know, you may still be triggered throughout your life. It may not be every single day, uh, every three years, probably never uh, again. Um, the reason why that stood stood out to me is because I think about the individuals who are only focusing on the good things and not wanting to acknowledge the bad things that uh, come to them that may develop in time. Uh, and the reason why they came up is because I see it very often. I only want to look at the positive. I don't care about the negative things or whatever the case is, but sometimes you have to look at that <clears throat> that negative thing, call it what it is, acknowledge that it's in the room in order for you to deal with it. Because if you continue to act as though this doesn't exist and you act as though um, it has no bearing on who you are, your personality, how you live your life, you, 
it, it prevents you from doing a lot of things that you want to do for yourself, meaning you are out trying to enjoy life, but it's still in the back of your head. You're out trying to, I guess, have a dinner with friends. It's still nagging at the back of your head. You want to go to your child's first birthday, and there, there's that one thing. It's still right there in the back of your head. And the reason why a lot of people don't escape from it is because they don't address it and call it what it is. They don't call it that trauma. They don't see it as the thing that's really impacting them. The more that you avoid it, the more that it still has control and has hold of you. But once you're able to address it, acknowledge it, and then move past it, yeah, that one day out of the year is a lot better than it always being in the back of your head. Well, I think it, you know, Here's a question for you. Are you a human being or are you an ostrich? I'm a human, but it depends on perspective. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm a human being. <laughs> you know, if you're an ostrich, you stick your head in the sand and you don't deal with anything. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about the science behind a memory, because that kind of leads into what you were just talking about. So. Um, for someone who does not have PTSD, which by the way, everybody has some level of PTSD. Mm -hmm. You cannot live this human experience without having some level of PTSD. Well, regarding this economy. Okay. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about a brain that has not had any PTSD experience. Now, when you, our brains are the most amazing things. They are um, the best, fastest, most accurate computers on the earth. They move faster than any computer. And right here in real time, it's recording a memory. And it, what it does is it separates out the five senses, probably more, but for our discussion, we're going to talk about the five senses. Mm -hmm. So it takes out the sight, the smell, um, the feeling, uh, you know, the, the touch, um, the audio, and it sticks it into a filing cabinet. And each one has its own filing cabinet. Okay. And then when it goes to recall the memory, it takes out all of those five things, puts it together, and we have a whole memory. Mm. Okay. However, when your brain has been exposed to PTSD, um, and it, quite frankly, PTSD is a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. um, the brain has trouble recalling all of those five things. It has trouble pulling out of the filing cabinets the five things to make the whole memory. So let's say it takes out three things and it's missing two. Well, the brain does not like an incomplete memory. So to help you out, the brain is going to add the other two items for you. On top of which, we have been um, genetically predispositioned to think negatively. And we can thank the caveman for this because that is what kept the caveman literally alive. You know, don't go out of the cave at night because you're going to get eaten by a lion. You know, that negative thinking kept them alive. So now you have a brain that has an incomplete memory. It's going to, you know, add in those other two items and they're going to be negative. So now not only do you have truly an incomplete memory, but it's wrong. So now you remember the, the situation and it's even worse than it actually occurred. And people are afraid of this. That's why they're so afraid to deal with their baggage. It's because it, it's horrible. Well, yeah, of course it's horrible. You don't even remember it correctly. <laughs> so one of the things, um, one of the treatments for this is EMDR. 
And if you've never had it done, I'm telling you, it's the next best thing since sex. It is able to literally unroll that, that onion, take off those layers to get to the bare basic memory. It takes out the fluff that was added in by your brain. It actually gets you back to the core memory. And then you can actually start dealing with what really occurred and not what your brain is having you remember. So that is so important. EMDR is wonderful. I highly recommend it. I've had it done myself. Um, I think it's wonderful. Um, Clinicians who utilize this, they kind of learn how to do it and then they kind of use um, morph it to, to work for them. So some of them use their finger and they go back and forth with your eyes. Sometimes they use buzzers. Um, there's all kinds of things that happen. Find the way that works for you. If you don't like the way your clinician's doing it, try a different clinician. Try a different way because it really is incredibly effective. I know the military's had amazing success. Um, I've had it done personally. It really helped me put, I think, the final nail in the coffin for my first rape. Now, that being said, I never know when, um, you know, as I discussed, all those five senses go into their different um, filing cabinets. Mm-hmm. You never know when something is going to trigger that lost part of that memory to come on out. And that actually happened to me about three years ago. I was about to teach a yoga class. I was, um, I, I was in a place that was also doing Taekwondo and the, the instructor had just come back from training. They had this new thing that they were trying with their students and it was very loud and we could hear it in our yoga studio. And the guy was um, smacking these two foam hands together and it would whop, and then he would yell a command mm. and then whop, yell a command, whop. And I didn't know. All I knew was that that rhythmic sound, the the whap and the yell, the whap and the yell triggered something in me. And I ran out to the receptionist and I said, oh my God, you must make him stop. And she said, well, we are a Taekwondo studio. You know that, right? We are going to make noise. And I said, yes, but that particular noise, like he has to stop that. And he looked over at me and he said, oh, I forgot you guys are doing yoga. I'm sorry. I'm making so much noise. I'll, I'll quiet down. And so I walked back into the room and I knew that I had been triggered, but I also knew that I had, you know, seven ladies on the mat waiting for me. And I was able to put it in to a compartment. I was able to teach the entire class. I didn't break down. Um, I drove home. I was okay. Now, when I walked in the door, my husband looked at me and said, oh my God, what the hell happened to you? And I said, I need to sit. I need to really think about this because something happened and it triggered me and I don't know what it was because I hadn't spent the time with it because I had other things that I had to do. And I sat down and I I made myself a cup of tea and I just sat. Where did this come from? What did it remind me of? Where did it bring me back to? And I realized it was from my very first rape. And um, I, I, I was dating a guy in college we uh, had consensual sex and in the middle of it, we had changed positions and the position we were in was hurting me. And I asked him to stop. I said, Hey, this is physically hurting me. You know, this is not good. And it was like, somebody flipped a light switch. The guy just, he was getting off on the fact that he was physically hurting me. And what he would do is he would thrust into me and it, the sound of our bodies smacking into one another. And Mm. then he would look down at me and yell at me 
thrust, yell, thrust, yell. And it was that same rhythmic sound. Mm. Wow. Amazing how something so out of nowhere could bring up such a memory. Now, that being said, I knew I was safe. I knew he was never going to hurt me again. I was able to function. It did not totally derail me to have a trigger. Mm -hmm. I functioned in the moment. I knew I was safe. And I took it to my therapist and I unboxed it with him. I got there. I was so excited to talk with him because I knew that this was going to be another level of my healing. And this is how you can really use triggers to your advantage. Triggers are telling you something. They are leaving you breadcrumbs. This is the next level of your healing. And so I was able, I, I mean, I got in there as quickly as I could. I was so excited and I told him what happened. And he said, all right, now let's do EMDR around it and let's put this to bed. No pun intended. <laughs> and I was, I was able, not only that, but, you know, as I sat there and I thought about it, I remembered two songs that were playing on the radio at the time. I had never, re it was 32 years. Well, at that point, it was like 30 years, 30, 29 to 30 years prior. I had never remembered the songs that were playing on the radio. And when I really sat down and I thought about it, it because of that trigger, I could remember the songs that were playing. And that's why every time that song came on the radio, I would get nauseous. Now I understood. Why is that? There we go. So memory plays a big part of this. Are you ever going to be rid of it? Is it, is it the specter that's always on your shoulder? Well, kind of. However, you can get yourself to a point where you can still function and use it to your advantage. That's a beautiful tale. That's a beautiful message. And honestly, I would love to end the, <laughs> the show right here, but I, I'm not. Um, but I appreciate you for sharing that because there's someone needs that. Honestly, someone needs that. Um, honestly, I need that. Um, I, uh, I've been learning a little bit more about uh, EMDR, um, you know, just through my classes and whatnot, but not necessarily as something that I may want to do for myself. But hearing your story, it makes me actually want to rethink looking into that for um, helping out with my own PTSD, most definitely, because I, I recognize and know many of my triggers at this point, uh, even my workplace triggers, which is hilarious most of the time. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, but um, just for someone who does, uh, who needs the uh, what EMDR is, it's eye movement dis uh, desensitiz desensitization and reprocessing therapy. So look into that, uh, find a clinician if that is something that you may want to do. Um, now, before I go into Never Have I Ever, because uh, I do want to, let's see how we can do this quickly. Um discuss the difference between yoga and yoga therapy as well as shout out your Facebook group too uh, just for the individuals who uh, fit the criteria they can um, join that and support you as well as find the resources that they need um, and then we'll go into ne uh, the never have I ever okay so yoga and yoga therapy what are the differences if we think of yoga as a big pie and we split it down the middle we have fitness-based yoga on one side and fitness-based yoga is so yummy. You know, we've got like Ashtanga and Bikram and, you know, um, co-ed naked hot yoga and, you know, all kinds of aerial yoga and all kinds of wonderful things over there. Right. 
It's a part. And this is based for, uh, you know, um, building strength, building stamina. Um, there's so many wonderful things that come from fitness-based yoga. Um, I could spend, you know, hours talking about that. And then on the other side of the pie, we have yoga therapy. Now with yoga therapy, what happens is that we work with a specific group of people to help them reach a goal. So we're looking at yoga for MS, yoga for PTSD, yoga for cardiac rehab, yoga for cancer, um, all different types of, you know, different needs. And we help people be able to get greater mobility, um, reset their central nervous systems if that's necessary, um, all things like that. And so that's kind of the difference. What we're able to do with yoga therapy and PTSD is literally help people reset their central nervous system, mm -hmm. which takes them back into the upper echelon brain. We help people be in the here and now. You know, when you've got PTSD, you're either um, dealing with anxiety, which is worrying about the future, all the different things that can go wrong, mm. or you're living in the past, you're, you're in, you know, depressed, you're living in the past, and you're reliving that moment over and over and over again. However, with yoga, when you're on your mat, if you're not there in that moment, you're going to fall over. So it brings you to the present. And in that 45 minutes to an hour, that might be the only time in the day you're actually present. Mm -hmm. However, we're able to do that. There's other things that we do um, with that, but those are kind of the main things. Does that answer? It does. It Good. Does. A very beautiful answer. Um, and the Facebook group. Oh, okay. So I do have two free Facebook groups. Um, one is uh, Women Surviving to Thriving. And then, of course, it lists off rape, sexual assault, DV, incest, molestation. These are only for women who have had these types of scenarios occur. The other group is healing PTSD with yoga therapy that is open to both men and women for any kind of generalized PTSD, not for anything specific. Um, and so feel free to jump on Facebook, look them up. And um, I think I've sent you those links though. If not, I can, and you can put them in the show notes. Um, I check out everybody who requests entry, um, especially my women's group. Um, I go and I look at all your socials and I, I kind of do a deep dive on you before I let you in. Um, generally, I have at least 10 men a week try to get in, which I find is fascinating. Um, when I do look them up, generally, they, um, believe it or not, um, are all about rape culture. Mm. They're actually looking to groom their next victim. Disgusting. It is disgusting. So um, know that, you know, I'm going to check you out. I'm going to, you know, see what other socials you got and, and see what you got going on uh, before I just blanket let you in. Um, that being said, you can check out my work at my website, which is traumahealingyoga.com. Um, I show up on most of the socials at Trauma Healing Yoga, uh, what, you know, um, Facebook, Instagram. I, I am not groovy. I am not on TikTok or Snapchat. I am not, I'm not young. I, I do all the old people stuff. So you'll have to look me up on the old people stuff. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, Lord. So I will make sure I do have all that uh, included in the show notes. And this is kind of going back to our conversation from the last episode. This is how you curate a safe space. Uh, ensure, like You have to do the work. You really do have to do the work, even when it comes to my TikTok, because uh, I firmly believe when it comes to the conversations about uh, sexuality, um, that it's a conversation that parents, if they have the tools, should have with their children so uh, with my TikTok and my business focusing on human sexuality and sexuality and stuff like that I look at every single person who follows my uh, TikTok on uh, for my business if I see a child you're getting removed and blocked if I see like I look at that I look at who's posting I look who's following because these conversations is not for you. Uh, and it's even though it's not extremely sexual because half the stuff is suitable for uh, young adults, but that's not what my platform is for. Because one, you can't purchase anything that my um, shop has because you don't have the money. I'm sorry, young kids, you just don't have the money. <laughs> but it's curated for adults and it's uh, specific for adults. And I've, I've Feel as though people need to be a lot more mindful about that when it comes to social media to protect the younger people, protect ourselves, as well as to protect those people who we're trying, we're advertising and putting ourselves out there for, so that they are feeling appreciating that we are, you know, I'm doing this for you all, not um, that, you know. I'm doing this for the entire world because I'm not. Uh, like even with my my my. Um, platform here um do i have a target audience yes it's can anybody listen to the show yes but at the end of the day uh if you're not fitting the ideology of what this show is about then i cannot help you and i'm not going to try to force you to learn i'm not going to try to force you to join the boat because i'm sorry you can join whatever boat and if it's if it sinks it sinks and i love that for you learn how to swim this one we we fix patches on a regular basis <laughs> we're not about that but like sink or swim whatever the case is just curate the spaces that you want people and that's that's my last message on that um you ready for some never have i ever absolutely all righty so never have i ever role play while in costume no you know i've been a part of role play scenarios but i have not been in a costume yet and i need to improve on that for myself uh i feel like <clears throat> i could become a character easily um uh, but as a trained actor that I am, <laughs> I don't brag about that often, but um, being someone who's acted in the past, worn costumes and uh, whatnot, it's a different feel because it's not like an everyday kind of situation. It's not, you really dive deeper when the exterior uh, matches the character that you're playing. Uh, and it's not enough to just be role-playing and just being nude or just role-playing and just being in lace. Uh, well, at least for me, for those other people who can do that, I love that for y'all. Congratulations. Continue to do what you're doing. But to be it fully within a scene is what I strive for when it comes to role-play. Like, mentally, I can be there, but um, there's a point within myself that I'm like, I need to dive a little bit deeper into this character. 
And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I used to act. And it holds nothing for me. <laughs> like, I think it's great. I think that, you know, if, if that's your jam, I think that's great mm-hmm. for me. It doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's just too, too much damn work. I don't know. I think that if you're that bored with somebody, maybe you should be looking for somebody else. Um, no, I, it, it just, it doesn't do anything for me. It really, you know, um, it's not my jam. However, yeah. if it is your jam, that's great. Mm-hmm. And you have people that you're with that, that do appreciate it. And they want to do that with you. It's just not, eh, not my thing. Understandable. And I agree. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of work to construct the scene. I like, if you're doing it properly, it's a lot of work. Uh, some um, think that, oh, well, just come over here and act like you're going to kidnap me. And there we go. What? What do you mean? That's what you, okay, I, that's great. We can figure that out. But we have to have conversation first. Like safety is a precaution. We need to know how this safety is going to go. We need to know um, characters. We need to have safe words here. We need to have a lot of things in place before I come over there and kidnap you. Because what if someone accidentally sees me kidnapping you and they call 911 and now I'm in this situation? No, we're not doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's well, and no- I think for someone who's like me, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a two-time rape survivor, um, you know, being able to be open and vulnerable with someone, that's, that's a lot of work mm. to feel safe and, and to be able to be really open and make a connection with someone. That's a lot of work. And so, you know, adding on another layer of, you know, costume and safe words and mm. whatever, that's just like, I, I can't go there. Like, I don't have that bandwidth. Mm. Um, and maybe that's why I don't like it. Oh, maybe mm. that's why I don't like it. Um, it, you know, I would rather take the time to really, um, learn another person's body and enjoy mm. them for who they are and, um, just enjoy the experience with them. Um, than having to worry about is my nurse hat on straight, um, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I get that. That is extremely fair. That is extremely fair. You know, and maybe, like I said, maybe that's why it doesn't really appeal to me because, Mm -hmm. you know, I have other things that I'm trying to, to be and, and open and vulnerable. And um, so, you know, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But again, if it's your jam, like that's cool. I mean, they, (laughs) they make nurses outfits for that for a reason. Very true. Very true and i don't think i will mm-mm. like for me for me to play a character i have to know some things about it like in nursing mm-mm, that's that's a lot of researching and i know like I, that might be my limit <laughs> okay so like what i mean are you talking about like um latex rubber chickens i mean like what you know so for me like whenever I, my type of um, role play scenario with a, a partner uh, outside of like if I'm like doing something casual with someone that's just a friend that's like you know someone off to the side that I role play with if it's a partner 
I see more of in-depth kind of uh, involvement. Like there's a whole scenario that's going on. We have lines, we have uh, scripts, we're doing this in multiple locations that most people don't know what's going on, but uh, me and my partner understands what's going on. So it's very complex. So uh, in those kind of situations, maybe it might involve like a business suit or it may involve a certain outfit that uh, myself or my partner may wear but in like a casual um scenario where it's not um developing in stronger intimacy with my partner um i would say like a a, a duck outfit but maybe um like some kinds of handcuffs ropes or even uh, a mask here and there um uh, maybe a police uniform um maybe uh, a banker's outfit or um it just depends uh if it's some kind of cosplay like anime uh i would actually that's something that we will reserve for a partner because we can get very creative on that one um but yeah those kind of things but i think at least with um nursing I will think of, you know, playing doctor or um, that kind of scene and the way my mind works, I'm like, okay, are we going to have to use stat? Are we going to use like dosage information? <laughs> like, it's just my mind thinks of way too many things that will come into play to make this scene very real. At least I know like with the police kind of outfit, I can... Um, play that power struggle with my uh, partner or if it was uh, a construction worker kind of thing situation um i won't say power struggle but you know taking your hard hat off and just get it into it kind of thing um but yeah just nursing i just think of way too many things i can do teacher though i could do sexy teacher kind of role play (laughs) but yeah All right, before I close this out, do you have any last words that you want to share with the audience? Do I have any last words? Um, Again, just giving up is not an option. I appreciate it. Well, Nisa, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation, as well as teaching me some new things, because I love to learn new things. Like, that's a part of this podcast. We learn, we grow, we thrive. We just be amazing people. So I definitely appreciate you for coming out to the podcast and sharing your uh, perspective, sharing your history, your experiences. The things that you do is greatly appreciated. So I I appreciate (laughs) you having me on. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Uh, To the audience out there, thank you all so much for listening to the whole Little Quee podcast where we step out and speak on sexuality. Just in case no one else told you this today, you are beautiful. You are worthy of happiness and joy. You are enough and then some. You may not live up to the expectations of others, but that is okay. You are only required to walk in your own shoes. May each day you live lead you towards abundance. With that said, love you all and see you next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Holiloquy Podcast, where we step out and speak on sexuality. You can subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcasting app and find us on the web at www.holiloquy.com. That's www.h-e-a-u-x-l-i-l-o-q-u-y.com. Share the podcast with your friends and join the conversation.